Welcome, Digital Dreamers. Welcome to today's episode. I will quote from Mr. Spock and Star Trek. I object to intellect without discipline. I object to power without constructive purpose. Today we have very purposeful and a Star Trek fan, Gemma Anderson today. She is engagement manager with Technation. She is adept with technological community, content creator, and she engages with various stakeholder in a very dynamic ecosystem. Welcome, Jim. Welcome to today's show. How are you doing? I'm, I'm good. I'm good. Even in all of this COVID nonsense, I'm still putting one foot in front of the other. <laughs> That's great. And I am aware of what Technation does, but for my audience who is not aware, do you want to say some line briefly about what is the purpose of Technation? Okay, so Technation is here for ambitious tech founders across the whole of the UK. So my patch is Yorkshire uh, and the Humber. So I cover kind of the, the tech ecosystems, which include uh, Leeds and Sheffield, Hull and York um, and Barnsley. You know, kind of tech isn't just happening in these big cities where we think it is, but it's actually happening everywhere because that's the joy of tech, isn't it? And uh, this is what COVID has shown us. We all work from home now because it's easy. And we're doing that from the satellite towns in which we, we live. We're not necessarily doing it from city centers. Um, so we do a, a bunch of things, uh, including things like um, we do the Technation Visa, which is for um, talent coming from, from overseas. That's not just kind of for coders that are um, you know, really adept at whatever language it is that Python and Java, but in fact, we also um, bring over kind of top um, talent in tech marketing and and tech operations, because I guess when people think about tech, they do think about these really technical things and you know hardware and software, but actually. Being a tech company is quite different to any other kind of company. Um, an example that I use all the time is um, Instagram. So Instagram was 10 people when it was valued at a billion dollars and sold to Facebook. So the difference in kind of taking a business from one person to two people to 10 people worth a billion pounds, amazing. You know, if you're talking about a shoemaking company, you're not gonna be 10 people um, as a shoemaking company that's worth a, a, worth a billion. So yeah, it's a different different thing. So what we do is we work with tech founders at kind of every level from, um, we've got our Digital Business Academy, which is our, the very, it's a series of bite-sized courses. And the very first one is, do you have what it takes to be a tech entrepreneur? So kind of really entry level, like, hmm, I've got this idea. I think I might want to start a tech business right through to, we support um, businesses in, in AI, in cybersecurity, in fintech, in net zero, and then kind of beyond that, those big organizations um, in, in well, in, in Leeds, we've got examples like um, uh, Crisp Thinking, who are a cybersecurity company, who, you know, might be at some point a, a unicorn. Let's wait and see. Uh, so my job as the entrepreneur engagement manager is to go out and, and talk to all of these companies it's very exciting. Um, you know, sometimes I can, I've just had a call this morning with a founder who's looking at AI for, for imaging. Um, so whether that's kind of analyzing fungal samples from soil or whether that's analyzing blood samples, um, but he's at the start of his journey. So we've just been talking about ideas and business plans and propositions and proposals, and then right through to um, 
a couple of years ago, I was engaging with a company called Twinkle over in Sheffield. They're an ed tech company and any parent of a primary school teacher, sorry, any parent of a primary school kid will have heard of Twinkle because they have been lifesavers in lockdown with all of their resources. So meeting with the kind of CEO and the COO of that company, talking to them, finding out what I can do to support them, if I can get them help on our programs. So it's a mixed bag, really. It's very exciting. Yeah, it's brilliant. And when do you, when you start engaging with this tech entrepreneurs, does they already have started journey or they engage with them or tech nation kind of try to bring them in? How, how does that work? Um, so we used to work with startups and scale-ups, but actually we do much more work. You know, our focus is on those scaling businesses. So those companies that have got their MVP, they've got customers, they're generating revenue and actually now, they're looking for how to go because it's a different mindset being a startup founder is wearing all of the hats doing everything doing all of the marketing just just having to know everything whereas when your business gets to the next level and moves on from that and you start to have a c-suite and you start to have a chief marketing officer and you start to have a chief operations officer and all of these different components which a founder of a startup is doing all of those things but that's you know, we're not all brilliant at everything so it's not really how it works so we work with those companies that are kind of a little bit later um simply for the fact that tech nation identified that across the country there is a lot of support for startups now um whether that's things like barclays eagle labs which operate across the country whether that's things like university accelerators or even like local government um often run programs to support tech tech businesses so that that bit was filled with with people that were engaging with those people, but actually that transition from founder to CEO, okay. that's the where people need help. So that's where we kind of come in. And if anyone, like I'm just delving into the details, if anyone who is not aware of Tech Nation and listening to this wants to come and contact you, so they should uh, contact you via the Tech Nation website or do you yeah, have so you to find any criteria me. for them like certain revenue is there any criteria that no, I feel I, like, like I said I talk to anybody because one of the things that I know so the Yorkshire tech ecosystem is yeah. obviously much more nascent than the one in London yeah. um, and so it could be that I am talking to, to I'm still talking to startups now because the startups I'm talking to now are the scale-ups next year um, yeah. and so I'm always happy to kind of talk to people and help them. I mean, I've got experience of being an entrepreneur myself. I've got experience of, you know, building communities and, and I know everybody as well in the ecosystem, um, which is super helpful. So if anybody kind of just wants to chat anything techie with me, I'm always happy to, to be found. You can find me on the Tech Nation website at technation.io forward slash Yorkshire. Yes, I will link that in my podcast note that if anyone wants to go and engage with you. And that's how I found you because I was doing last year at the end, I was doing the digital business academic courses because I thought it was just fun to do that. And I thought it was like, you know, a revision of what I have done in my B school. And mm-hmm. it was, oh, it's a revision and it's free. Like, huh. That is the most Yorkshire price of all. Um, yeah, um, I, I know it's a really good resource. We had so many users of it last year in lockdown because I think it, it, it's it's interesting for everybody. It's interesting to know all of the different bits that make up kind of being a tech entrepreneur from, you know, how do you build a brand and how do you raise money? And then if you are a tech entrepreneur and you are you are in that space, 
as I said, if you're one of those people that has to wear many hats because you're the founder, there are going to be gaps. There are going to be things that you don't know that you don't even know that you don't know because you don't know what it is. So that's why these 85 courses are brilliant because it fills in all of those gaps. It's been called a mini MBA for tech entrepreneurs. And, I think and then I, that's, that was my take. I was like, I almost finished, I guess, 50 of them in my lockdown. That was my hobby every day. Just go and just finish a course. And it's designed so well. And I was like, I have paid my dad's hard-earned money in past for this education. Obviously, it's very different when you're doing it at an university, not, but it was like such a refresher course. I was like, oh, I've forgotten about this completely because in your work, you don't use it when you are mm -hmm. doing with the organization you don't use it it gets into operation it gets into business and strategies and a lot of part of it like the finance part of it and all those i understand that but i have not used it in four years and i was like ah oh, that's good and it's free like I yeah, yeah absolutely and you kind of like already brought few of the topics i will probably kind of question back later in the uh, session but the next question will be like, we are going through a lot of change. COVID obviously had shifted many things. It had been good news for some business. It had been extremely bad news for certain type of service industry and business. But we are also have gone through the Brexit. Do you see any change uh, like in terms of engagement into the community or is it all the same? Um, I guess because we're, we're not selling stuff, we're not selling stuff over borders, we're selling kind of technology, technology. and so it's not quite the same, it's not like, it's not like there's going to be a lorry full of algorithms that are stopped at the border. <laughs> exactly, and that's the brilliant thing about tech, isn't it, it is like, if you obviously do the GDPR and all those data protection, oh, all. yeah, all but, those know, things, but I, there's a startup, I, I ran an event as part of the Leeds Digital Festival last year, um, talking about international, and it was really interesting, we had kind of a bunch of founders um, from different levels, and one of them, you know, his company's been going for a couple of years, and he, because of how he promotes it, so whether that's on Reddit, whether that's on things like Product Hunt, he's getting international customers, and so suddenly, those instead of having to go well i'm starting to think about international these are the markets that i think i should break into he can see well canada canada is super interested in what i'm doing so maybe i need to start thinking about that as the market i go to i guess it's kind of you get to do some research before you make the jump because obviously like you say it is different and another one of the the things that came out of that um that conversation with those founders was you know, operating in different countries comes with much more complex um, red tape than you might think. It's not just like, well, I'm going to sit in my bedroom in Leeds and I'm going to sell to the world and it's going to be super easy. It's not like that. But there are some really great organisations um, that can help you with that. And I mean, I've got quite a good working relationship with the Department for International Trade. Um, because they will help you kind of land in a country. I say land in a country. It's not like, well, actually landing anywhere at the minute, but we'll help you kind of overcome some of those hurdles, whether those are kind of hurdles to do with the administration of your business or whether those are cultural hurdles of how you sell into that market, because it might be different. I know that um, Zandra from Pan Intelligence, who was on the um, 
on my on my panel that I did was talking about how in the UK they are kind of sector agnostic with their stuff but in America they had to really go no we are going to be in this sector because it's so much louder and noisier in America and there's so much more competition. So, uh, and like I love the fact that you bring this one point if I'm not wrong, like I think with the Brexit and the new rule revision, people from Europe also can kind of apply through the tech nation visa. I think that's yeah, what absolutely. So we had, we had like open now. <laughs> it was all it was all up in the air for a while, but yeah, absolutely. And and I think one of the great things, tech in the UK is still super exciting, and um, we've got the tech nation report coming out in March. And that will, you know, kind of go to show and, and prove this this thesis that we all know if you're a tech business in Europe, and I say that Europe, not the EU, then Britain is still the place to be. It still has the most in most interest. It still has kind of the most access to investment. And so, if you want to work for exciting tech companies, then the UK is still a really exciting place to be, even if, you know, you're. German or French or you know any part of the EU you can still come here and still still do work and still work on some of the most exciting tech that that the world is producing. I think that's the interesting part about tech it's like as you said previously you're not sending out algorithm full of tr truck full of algorithm it was like really funny yes you are not doing that and I was reading a few of the statistics from the website like in our Till 2090s, there was 10.1 billion pounds investment in the tech sector. And I think, I don't know that that's the latest uh, uh, data I could find. And I was looking through what are the cities where like, you know, most tech entrepreneurs or startups are coming up. Oxford, Cambridge, London was not, Bristol was not a surprise, but I also started seeing Manchester, Sheffield in, in that. And I, was, yeah, well, I guess, I guess um, so Manchester's, God, I'm, I might get pilloried for saying this, but the Manchester tech ecosystem is a little bit further on than um, the one we've got over in Leeds, just simply for the fact that I think they have better access to investment, for example. It's a massive problem in Yorkshire and one I'm working really hard to remedy behind the scenes by trying to put these pieces together and make sure it happens. Um, but, I th you know, I think it's fair to say that we are a little bit behind. Um, but then you've got ecosystems like Sheffield where there's there's a real appetite for, for tech and for tech startups. And so much so that we can see, and um, there's a new project um, launching over there. They've just had 5.2 million pounds worth of investment to um, start a whole bunch of accelerators. Um, so they're currently, I think they've got a request out um, for tenders for, for international accelerators to move into Sheffield to really start to take that activity which is there and go right well let's not just be startups let's create successful startups which become scale-ups which can really boost the economy of the region. That's that's good news and I think uh, having I have stayed in London I have stayed in Manchester and I've moved to Leeds I've gone this north-south total like yes the thing in London and Manchester is definitely more investment friendly because of the city and the scale it has. And Leeds is definitely up and coming, but it's still not in that level. And I guess until you acknowledge that it needs some work needs to done, you will not get that sort of investment. You need to- I think in Leeds, I will say, because I think that the problems that we have are acknowledged by local government 
Um, so they took part in a project last year um, or the year before. What are years anymore? I've completely lost track. Um, yeah. uh, but working, working with um, MIT, um, you know, on, on, yeah, exactly, on their um, entrepreneurial ecosystem of, of the city and of the city region to do the mapping exercise to identify what, what leads does well what it doesn't do well, where the gaps are, what needs to be done to fill them, and, and yeah, bringing together people from across the whole of the ecosystem. So from startups and scale-ups to the big corporates, to local government, and educating everybody on, on what it is that Leeds does well and what it needs to do better. And one of the outcomes of that is the, pro the build program that they've just started, which is um, based around a tech for good incubator. Uh, that's in fact the chap I was talking to this morning um, who was talking about his imaging and AI thing you know he's on he's on that program so I think the fact that our local government acknowledges the problems and then wants to do stuff to help is really good exciting you know because we're not not every city is actually that forward thinking and not every city is putting that much time effort and money into making it better for everybody and that's really heartwarming to see. I have stayed in two countries in my life. I've traveled many, but mainly stayed in India where I have born and brought up and I have moved to here uh, for work and that also in IT and tech industry for that matter. But that's a, you know, global companies with big infrastructure already set up. You never actually get to see what's the ground level is. Now, if I have to compare, like India is a very big booming country and with IT is my foremost business there. It, like it leads the world in that sector. But having said that, when I kind of find the entrepreneurial sector are quite scattered, at least I don't like, I am talking about five years ago because I have for five years, I'm not on the ground level to see exactly what's happening. But I have seen it's quite very city centers. The big main cities are leading it. And it's still a bit scattered, and especially a country in that scale, it's, it's very, very difficult. But when I come here, and first I came across to know about technician like a year, year and a half back, just random researching and just came across as like, what's this? And just gone through that, I was like, it's so interesting to see that there is an initiative and the government of UK also acknowledges this initiative because with the visa processing and everyone else is funding in it. Mm -hmm. It's kind of heartwarming to see for tech sector itself, it's kind of trying to bring the talent all over the world and also kind of encourage the people who are in UK or not from UK, doesn't matter. So that's as an immigrant, it's very heartwarming for me as a personally on a very, very personal level. It's like, ah. Oh, it's because sometimes you don't feel that there is a like, how can I say there is a road a hurdle there because you feel like, oh, I don't know the sector here. How would you start? But I think when I saw that, I was like, oh, yes, you can start it here. Doesn't matter you are from here or not, which is very nice to see. On, honest, honestly, it's very ni nice to see that, actually. I, I mean, I, I guess. The idea of tech is that tech is a meritocracy. It's not about who you are. It's not about what you look like. It's not about where you're from. It's not about your gender. It's not about if you're disabled. Like in theory, it's a theory. Yes. Tech is, you know, anyone can do it. I mean, I don't necessarily think the theory plays out quite as it should. I think there are far too many 
white, male, cisgender, not disabled, and, you know, middle-aged men at the That's, top of- I think international everywhere. It's still- Oh yeah, totally, totally. <laughs> but, um, I mean, also, Tech Nation is also doing some really cool stuff at, kind of at that level around DNI, and that's kind of something that really fascinates me. Um, so we've been working with an organization to create something that we're calling the Founders Toolkit around DNI to make sure that that when companies are you know from the off and, and 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 then further on that they're starting to think about diversity and inclusion because I think when it comes well I say I think I know when it comes to tech those companies that are diverse do better you know I think I've just seen this morning that there are now officially zero black women at the head of a FTSE 100 company um in in this country that's awful what, what, why, why? Um, so, you know, but that's, that's across all sectors. Um, and, you know, it's a, it's a problem everywhere. But I think the fact that the, the dial isn't moving on, on the women in tech, despite the fact that we all go to millions of women in tech events, and we all attend and we all go, yes, we need more women in tech. It's not happening. But it's kind of uh, like, I, I, I would believe that we can talk about it, but then there is also action in the ground. The reality sometimes is very, very different. Even like use it's like for PR and marketing, it's really nice to, and I'm a marketing student. I love marketing and I love technology, but sometimes there are a lot of noise in terms of, oh, this needs to be done. But when you go back behind the scene, you just see, oh, one person walking into the room and with all yeah, well, that's, I mean that's one of the good things about what we're doing at Tech Nation is you know it's a it's a team of people who are all genuinely passionate and excited for DNI. We've created this toolkit. It's going to be coming out after the um, Tech Nation report in March. So let's say late March, early April. Um, and I, I've read I've read the the copy for it, and it's genuinely brilliant. It's one of the first times I've actually seen something that's that's comprehensive and talking about why diversity and inclusion is important because i think a lot of people talk about diversity but they don't talk about the inclusion bit um yes and that's actually because that's the action inclusion is the action diversity is just talking about it yeah i i agree with you and it's a very nuanced sec section because i have come across two very different culture and I have worked with various countries US Canada South like Europe zone many many clients global clients and there are a lot of Indian people working in the IT tech sector in UK as well and some of them are brilliant probably more so than me but I have seen I am succeeding in certain cases better than a lot of them because I could adapt first to the differences. There are a lot of differences in cultures and sometimes some certain messages doesn't come across the two parties. Mm -hmm. Certain thing doesn't get translated. If you are not going out of your way to try to understand and, and I'm not saying people are not inclusive. They are, they try, but there is a difference. Let's acknowledge the fact it's very, very different culture interacting with each other in a very different way they act. Unless you are exposed to it, or unless you have a bit of interest to that, it kind of becomes very difficult to do that leap. You get stuck, not because you're not able or capable, 
just because you are not able to translate that. And it's not even about English language or a different language being spoken, it's just the nuance of different cultures. So I first time I went to America, I absolutely hated it because there was this, I, I, just, just arriving in America, you know, going to the pub. You go to the pub, you go to the toilet, right? And in a toilet in, a, in, in, in the UK, if you're in a girl's toilet and you've had a few beers, you will probably be best friends with the person. Oh, who's tell your life story. Exactly. Like, and I was in America and I was being exuberant in a toilet, dog, and just like nothing. Like this person was just like, she didn't say like what, but she was very, very polite and just left because there was not that, here's my life story, that thing that we have here. And I, honestly, the culture shock was mad. It just, it blew my mind. And the next time I went, I was fine because I kind of knew to expect that. But I just found it absolutely crazy because you just think, well, you speak the same language as me, therefore it must be exactly, no, absolutely not, not. Culture is so massive. It's not just about what, what language you speak. Yeah, yeah, I absolutely agree. Like I have like gone through that uh, like, and to an extent, I have exposure of it when I was a child through my families or listening to their stories or by traveling. But and I'm myself very curious. I kind of want to go and talk to people. Like curiosity kills the cat. Probably I'll get killed sometime, but I am very curious and I just go and like, yeah, please tell me what that. And like, I'll just switch off my mobile or map. I'll travel whenever even I travel, like really go and talk to people. Someone told me years ago, you go to a pub of a country or a city you get to know the culture a lot better because a lot of of Puritans is off and there are the people and their culture just come out. Yeah, one of the best thing in the UK was like pubs and toilets, people just gel and bond there and like cry and tell their stories. It's like, you amazing. Yep, exactly. Unbelievable. I was like, I'll do that sober through podcast. That's all we're doing now. That's fine. I mean, yeah, that's great. That maybe that's what it is. So why everybody is starting a podcast in lockdown. We're just missing those toilet conversations. Conversations. That 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 was the like internal, you know, purpose of doing all this elaborate talking about technology was like having that conversation which you're missing. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, coming back to tech questions again. Is there any story which stands out? You have said few, few examples. Is there any stories or trends in AI or 5G kind of stands out to you? You talk about EdTech, Net Zero, FinTech. So I'll go to Net Zero afterwards, but is there any in AI? Because I'm seeing a lot of things in AI. Probably I'm personally interested in AI. That's the reason I'm seeing a lot of companies there. So anything that stands out? A company that um, I know that are doing some really cool stuff in AI uh, in Yorkshire um, is uh, Logically. So Logically are an AI company which have been set up to tackle fake news, which uh, obviously, I mean, it's in the, it's in the press slightly less in, uh, in February of this year. For some strange reason, I can't possibly identify what the difference between last year and this year is that fake news isn't quite as much of a thing. Um, but so logically have um, were set up kind of on the back of, of, of all of the Brexit misinformation um, because there was a lot of that flying about, a lot of people kind of 
you know, sharing stories, sharing, sharing new stuff that wasn't true, um, bots that were set up to kind of keep propagating that information. So on the back of that, um, the chap called Lyric set up logically. Um, then he also ended up, so they've kind of broken into America and have been working quite a lot uh, around the, um, the election over in America, because obviously there was a lot of fake news, same thing, kind of same everywhere. Same. Yeah, it's exactly. a global issue again like it's massively problematic so um yeah logically i've done some really cool stuff including kind of they have helped to expose some of the QAnon stuff um you know who is behind QAnon? where are the servers and kind of doing that invest using ai to do that investigative piece with people then you know checking it and, and then like, telling the story um but yeah just using AI to get the data to find out who who is behind all of this awful nonsense. I mean, particularly the QAnon stuff. It's crazy. So yeah, um, that I'm I'm a big fan of, of them. Uh, I've uh, yeah, exciting AI stuff. Oh, I mean, I literally was reading about them yesterday. Like when I was going yeah. through the companies, I was like, oh, this is exciting. I was just taking notes. Um, I get excited by AI, but this one, the one was like particularly excited about. From yeah, I think, you know, it's such a massive problem and we've seen how, how much of an issue it is. it is with, you know, with Brexit, you know, we we're talking about earlier, but there was so much misinformation about, about, you know, and it wasn't just coming from fake news and bots, but it, it, it was, you know, being propagated by those channels. Um, I mean, even this morning I saw, um, there's a, there's a bot farm which has been set up by two football hooligans which is churning out pro boris content which on twitter saying oh boris i love you i can't remember like it's literally millions of people people bots all saying the same thing to make it look like the situation is different than it is and um yeah it's such a big problem and it's going to continue to be a problem i don't think you know we've all adapted particularly in lockdown to social media and how how it's a lifeline let's face it when we're all stuck in our houses and not getting to go out but actually we have we adjusted to being online i mean the internet's been a part of our lives for, you know for, for millennials you know most of our understanding lives yes. you know not when we were kids i mean i say not when we were kids i had an amiga in my bedroom when i was what, nine but anyway <laughs> i'm third it's different um but yeah being connected to people on the internet has been a thing and they say that it was the advent of the smartphone so suddenly the internet wasn't a thing that you had a computer at home and some people did but suddenly with a smartphone everybody's got it everybody's got the internet everybody's connected all the time to everybody in your pocket and so suddenly internet culture pre the advent of the smartphone was very very different to suddenly now we've got being bombarded with information all the time uh, from from all sorts of directions and having the capacity to understand that hasn't necessarily grown and particularly for those people that haven't grown up with smartphones you know I, i'm not going to say okay boomer because it's ridiculous but to those people it's completely new and com and a kind of alien and yes okay we've all got used to it now but you know, we see a lot of stuff in the press in, in this country that is like well, media studies, that's not even a real degree. But actually, <laughs> it's really important because through something like a media studies degree, you suddenly understand about, well, where is the information coming from and is it trustworthy? And 
And actually, that's kind of vital. Whereas kind of somebody that reads the Daily Mail already doesn't really care where their information is coming from because they're reading the Daily Mail. And therefore, they're not going to care that they're getting it from somewhere bad on Facebook. So anything that we can do to kind of tackle that and start saying, well, actually, no, Bill Gates isn't trying to inject you with a special little microchip. Um, it's fine. You don't need to believe that. Um, yeah, anything we can do on that education piece is, is vital. That's why logically I think is so exciting. Oh, yes. And like, I literally was talking to a friend about this and that we are the last generation who kind of remembers an hour when we were really little, but we remember when there was no smartphone. Like I grew up with a cordless phone. It's mobile, but you still have to go with, you can't take it uh, outside or there is a, like you can only take it this far away from the place. You do not get a signal. But we remember that and then there was like mobile, but we know what was life like before smartphone. Yeah. And everyone said like, oh, people are into their phone. I mean, I see toddlers, babies, their parents have given them an iPhone or like a tablet to play with things. How, how, how do you expect? So it's kind of getting integrated in their behavior. Oh yeah, like my, my, my boy, if he sees a screen and it's not touchscreen, when he was really small, was like, what's this? <laughs> what is this? <laughs> um, so yeah, but I'm, I guess I'm the same actually. I've got, uh, I've got a, a touchscreen laptop and work gave us a non-touchscreen laptop. And I was like, no, I don't want to sit in a meeting and start prodding my screen and it not work and we look, look ridiculous. <laughs> um, so yeah, but no, I think I think it's gonna be really interesting. So my boy, he's five now. Like, how is he gonna grow up? Like, he already Googles stuff. So if he if he doesn't know something and he wants to know it, he can knows that he Googles it. That's really interesting. Yeah, there I saw, was, I saw, on, uh, like digital anthropology. You know, I was uh, writing to a few professors of digital anthropology. Like they're busy. I was like, can can we talk about it? They have said no so far, but I'm writing to them because it's a topic and I was like I'm fascinated by it and there are anthropologists who are studying that it's a new thing which is coming on and I was like yes they should because it's a different entire like I saw a story of um a teacher saying but the first time this has happened to them a kid put their hand up in class and said instead of saying miss they went google because that's how integrated yeah that is, is to our lives now yeah, yeah I mean I mean, we talk about Google, Facebook and all that. The answer is, can we live without them? Probably not. Like if you take Google from me, I don't think, I, I mean, I really cannot imagine my life without the access of Google. No, I mean, I, I, not at all. I <laughs> yeah, but Google. I need data back. Yeah, no, like I, 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 I'm, a, I'm a poet as well. And like, if it wasn't for Google, like Google has all of my ideas and when I wake up at three o'clock in the morning I go oh I need to write about that thing and I'd make a note and start a google and then I go in two weeks later and go what the heck was that about I've got no idea but it's still there and that's the important thing oh like we will talk about it you should share the link with me so that I post it and I'll personally I love poetry so I'll go and check a look all right cool yeah no I just um I had a piece accepted last year in the um Black Lives Matter anthology from Civic Leicester which is kind of one of my it's okay to say it's the best thing I've ever written. It is the best thing I've ever written. Um, you feel it? Yeah. Definitely. Is. I'm start, I'm, I've, I've, I've been writing quite a lot in lockdown, actually. actually. It's um, one of the things that have, has seen me through. And I think I wrote something yesterday, which is the start of my first pamphlet. So that's, that's all very exciting. Yeah. 
I mean, I probably will catch up with you later offline on this one because personally, it's a very uh, personal to me. I'm not black, but I'm brown and I'm a person of color. And the journey of getting accepted in a technological business world and also the experience of trying to fit in in a different culture, it had been a quite an experience. Just say, say as that, like you see a culture very different progressing, doing a lot better than it used to, and also come to a different sector of it. It's definitely way more progressed, but it's still not anywhere near it should be. You, I have seen like a quite a bit of like, you know, the difference of this, the pros and the cons of those. And that had been a major part. Like sometimes the technology not had been a challenge the people had been, which should not yeah. have been the case. The yeah, I guess. There's still so many people that are just just say like people are racist and it's crap um i wrote a, a blog post on linkedin last year which went viral which was called lightening the load basically talking about how it's white people's responsibility to tackle racism because otherwise it's exactly the same thing as the women in tech thing where you go to a women in tech event and it's a bunch of women okay. talking to themselves about women in tech like it's not going to work but just talking you need to ourselves. Corner. I, I believe you yeah. need entire society for uh, diversity uh, in terms of uh, color and all that. You need every color included. And you also need, when women talk about human rights, you need men in at your corner because you talking to yourself in your own gender. Nothing's going to change. So, blog post is you know it is white people's responsibility to start talking about racism in their workplaces in their schools in their universities you know i think the next generation um the ones that are coming up with the zoomers they're great they know it they, they've got it they um I'm, I'm i'm hoping to see some exciting changes in society as those people grow up and come into power um i mean i'm, a, I'm an elder millennial and therefore <laughs> And therefore, I guess, I, you know, I do what I can. I, and I'm making sure that I raise my boy to, to know all of this stuff. But I don't know, trying to tackle the, the boomers is a challenge. <laughs> <laughs> well, but then we have, like, the thing is, if we are progressing, we are having the conversation, at least it's better. Like, I have come across, like, certain scenarios. I, I mean, like, did you just say that? And I'm like, okay, now, how, like, initially I used to get a bit angry and offended. And, but now I ask, like, why did you say that? Like, I just ask because I don't believe people are intentionally evil. A lot of time they are misinformed or probably they were ignorant of things. And I have one such conversation. I, I when I came to Leeds uh, from Manchester, I didn't know anyone, like literally zero person. But I wanted to do the three pick challenge for charity event. So I started finding out hiking groups and went there. So when I went there, I chose a club which is very, very old. Uh, and a lot of people are like 60 to 70 years old in that club, but they do very good hiking. And 99.99% of them are lovely people, like amazing sweetheart people. But there are like one or two comments I used to get like, and one of them being as such in terms of Brexit or like what the information is, what the immigration issue is. I was like, 
okay, you are so misinformed. Like you literally don't know anything about it. Like, and whatever news you are consuming, that's why I love the concept of logically so much. Yeah. Whatever news you are consuming, it's absolutely wrong. So I thought probably you will never talk to a person of color. Normal, you only probably interact with white people and don't talk to anyone of color. So can I do something to change your mind in that few hours I have to work with you? And by the end of it, that elderly man kind of compared me with his younger daughter. So he's such a lovely person. It's just that the information he knows, it's totally wrong. Mm -hmm. I mean, in the first five minutes, I was offended, but then I was like, calm down and have a conversation. So those yeah. conversation needs to be there. It's it's frustrating that we have to have these conversations, though, isn't it? Like, oh, ultimately, stop reading bad news papers, people. It's not like that. You can see it when you see heat maps of um, where voted for Brexit and the populations of colour. Like the places that have no people of colour voted for Brexit because. They just aren't, if you're not exposed to different cultures, if you're not exposed to different ways of life, if you're not exposed to different kinds of people, then you just, your view is that big. And it's, it's yeah, and I think it, the bias is everywhere. I mean, I know people of color who are biased and it goes every, like, I think both way around. It goes either way around. It's just not one. It's everywhere, every, everywhere. People are just sticking to their small domain and ecosystem. And one of the beauty of tech is it's kind of, breaks barriers in a way. I don't think it does enough to break those barriers. I have an argument. I talk about class a lot when I talk about diversity and inclusion. Like I'm I'm working class. I grew up in a council house, was homeless when I was 16 years old. Like I've experienced quite massive poverty. And I'm very lucky to have come out of the other side of that. One of the reasons I've come out of that the other side of that is because I can disguise myself. I'm from Harrogate and I can disguise myself. I mean, I don't know if I can disguise myself anymore and I've got pink hair and tattoos. But when I started, I could disguise myself as a middle class person and then therefore break into these spaces and then start talking about things which they hadn't thought about and talk about things because I've managed to code switch. But then I could code switch back and go, actually, <laughs> let me talk about these things which you've never thought about. Um, I think that's it's look, it's look that that happened to me. It's look that I kind of came out of that kind of cycle of poverty and, and made it to to a slightly less poor place. Um, but I think there are going to be a whole heap of people who don't have that piece of look that I had, and yes. and therefore yes. we're missing a trick. So it might be we talk about the IoT and we talk about AI, and you know the capacity for what it can do is amazing. But if only white middle-class men are thinking about what the problems are that they can solve, then ultimately they're not actually going to be solving problems in a way that is meaningful and solves problems for everybody. And I think that's where this piece falls down. Um, when, when we talk about tech being a meritocracy and when we talk about it being for everybody, it's not, it's not there yet. It's not for everybody yet. I think there are some really cool things happening which could make it for everybody. So I took part in an event a couple of weeks ago um, which was Pan Intelligence, um, they, they have set up something called No Code Lab, um, which is essentially access to experts and tools, which mean that anybody without knowledge of code and without having to be kind of 
you know a techie nerdy person like me I mean I'm not actually I can't write code but I am nerdy but yeah without having those those skills you can still create apps you can still examine data sets you can still do kind of a whole piece of work which a lot of apps are essentially to build something which you can then kind of take out to a community you, you can even sell it as a business um and that to me that's where we start to see tech being for everybody where we've broken down these academic barriers and we've broken down these skill set barriers because you know not everybody is gonna not everybody knows about tech even in schools if you go to a school in a in a kind of poorer area you're probably not going to be learning about kind of complicated data scientist jobs because it's not like anybody you know it's not like somebody's going to come in somebody's mum's going to come in and talk about it because they perhaps don't have access you know people in tech it's still a bit of an enclave in that i can talk about millions of tech jobs I don't think my mate who's a hairdresser could. And so how does she teach her kids about what all these jobs in tech are? What if that's a potential coder of future? Like I I have done computer computer science engineering, but I have not done coding in the in my career because I'm a business consultant. I'm working with technologies and business and transformation. And uh, last week I started learning Python. I was like, let's get back to roots because I'm interested in AI. That's what like, let's, not that I have to be good at coding, but if I'm planning to interact it with people in that community and like the things I have, the problem I want to solve personally, I probably start at least have a basic understanding. And honest to God, I was intimidated by it. I love maths. I was very good at in, uh, integration and all that sort of thing. So I will say it's not very hard for me to pick up even that like two days, I kind of switched on the course and switched it off back because I was just plain scare of it and I have a background in technology I have an engineering degree although I have not coded in live in office or in a practical scenario but I know about that and it scared me mm -hmm. it just scared me I stopped it for two days and then I like okay it's not that scary you have done, <laughs> you have done it before what about what about if you had access to something where you could you know build it by doing drag and drop and if this then that but just do it in yeah, I know I, my, my, like, uh, I'm good at like organizing or picking things up from like, as you say, drag and drop, like organizing, seeing the bigger picture also have understanding of the technology or the language, which is there. But yes, like that would be great. Like someone like me, rather than me going back to basic and, or rely upon people who are doing because, or probably I will not able to share my vision with them, what I'm trying to do, but Yes, that, there are so many opportunities, so many things to do to that. Well, I'm conscious of the time, so I will just quickly ask you in terms of uh, any any resource or information which you which you like to share with my audience in terms of if they start like want to start out, what are the steps which technician they obviously they can go and do the, the digital business. I mean, let's start with the digital business academy. I cannot think it's any more highly um, and then depending on where you are you know I've, I've talked I talked earlier about how start, there was a lot of help out there for startups and it's different everywhere yeah. um, uh, so in Leeds we've got we, we've got the LEP in Leeds they're a great resource we've got various accelerators um, 
but there is going to be something lo local to you which will be that entry point into the ecosystem uh, one of the things that my job is um, referred to as is that of a super connector so it's my job to know everybody to talk to everybody to kind of know people at all of the accelerators and the investors and all that kind of stuff so then when somebody comes to me and says i need help with this thing i can go oh well i can't help you with that personally but what i can do is i can introduce you to the person that can definitely help you um find the me <laughs> wherever you are because there will be somebody that does my job everywhere i mean if you're in the uk then um you know there is a literally a me an entrepreneur engagement manager in every single region um so you know find find them people but it's not just those it, in in leeds we've got people like um stuart clark who's the head of the leeds digital festival um he knows everyone um, same as me um, and therefore he's another person that, that will be able to help you and be able to point you in the right direction of who it is that you need to speak to just keep your eye out see those people that are talking on LinkedIn see those people that are talking on Twitter about what it is you know talking about tech talking about tech startups and just ask them I think I don't know if it's the same everywhere but in Leeds there is a fantastic ecosystem of people looking to collaborate and you know that's demonstrated in the, the build project which the which <clears throat> the mit project that i was talking to the startup earlier um I, I was on a call last week and you know there were there were i think eight or nine or ten people all going come to me i will help you um because that's what the leads ecosystem is like you know you can even talk to somebody who's working in the same space as you you know on a business that is relatively similar to yours i even think they would help you so yeah find find the super connectors and get chatting yeah i mean that's how i found you because i was looking through the regions and i was like who, who, who is for leads and i went through the region and found you and messaged you immediately for, for i think I probably if did i email you back straight away i think i probably did because i usually do <laughs> yes you <laughs> like, did. within like five ten minutes boom there. yeah i was like no i was not expecting that <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, like that's okay. I, I will link the Dig uh, Digital Business Academy. I know where to find. I will definitely link yours, where the page where your name is and your Twitter handle is there. That's one thing. And another thing you said, build project. Would, would I find it in Google if I do build project? Oh, the build, um, yeah, as, as I said, so that's um, that's a lead specific project, um, which is great. It's just launched. I think it's only been running for two weeks. Um, it, this is their trial. It's their... Okay. their IT project they're running it now they've got the cohort they're seeing how it goes I think hopefully in the future there will be more um, in Leeds specifically again there's also something called the idea community which is an online platform which is essentially the same thing it's access to a bunch of people um, a bunch of resources and a whole bunch of founders who are all at a similar stage and who are all happy to help one another with kind of ideas asking about things that they're struggling with and you know, the thing about being a founder of a tech business <clears throat> is you will face long, dark nights of the soul and they're awful. You're like, oh my God, is my business going to fail? What? And honestly, the only person that can really help you with it is, is another entrepreneur because if you don't, if you've never done it, if you've never put like everything, your blood and sweat and tears into a business and then going, is this right? Is this okay? Like if you haven't done that, then you don't know what it's like and it's a lot <laughs> uh, 
Okay, I will do that. And in uh, previously, you have said pan intelligence and no code lab. So these are communities I can find into Google if I Google. It's the it. pan intelligence is the business that set up no no code labs. Um, and okay. yeah, you can find some stuff about them online. Okay, I'll find that and link it into my link. If anyone is listening and anyone needs to that, and I myself will going to use it because it's very much something I want to use as well. That's great. And uh, just before ending it. Any any mission statement, it can be for technician, it can be your personal mission statement. I know you have mentioned a few things already throughout the our chat in terms of diversity, inclusion, and the piece you have written. You have to share it with me. I want to read that yeah. piece, definitely. Any 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 mission statement of your life related to technology um, just personal? What it will be. I guess I guess it's I don't really separate technation from my life because I don't really have a work face. It's just not a thing I do. So for me, I guess the mission statement would be be authentic um, simply for the fact that I think if you bring your whole self to everything that you do, you know, whether that's your job, whether that's your poetry, whether that's your baking, like just be present and then share that with everybody. You know, I think you go a lot further. Um, maybe it's a cultural thing. Maybe it's back to bringing that, toilet toilet chat energy to the entirety of my life <laughs> but um yeah that's what it's done me the world of good it means that i have a job that i love i'm very very lucky um i don't particularly feel like oh god another day oh it's monday i've got to get up and go to work like no i love it it's great because i've been genuine and authentic in everything that i've done and therefore that authenticity has attracted something that is right for me Oh, I love that. I love that because there had been a lot of conversation I've heard, like, you have to be this person. And I was like, but I'm better as myself. I'm more effective when I am being entirely myself. Probably a lot of people will not like that. A lot of people will do, but it kind of eliminates. You cannot cater to everyone. You should cater mm -hmm. to people, which means a lot and who are with whom your core values and whatever your authentic self is resonates with them. Otherwise, what's the point? Exactly. I love it. I love, like, I have been absolutely enjoyed talking to you. I could go on for hours. Is, <laughs> but, like, I'm like, okay, stop for today. I can always. Well, well when, when all this COVID nonsense is over, we'll definitely have to go to the pub. Thanks for coming to my show. Thank you very much for your time. No worries. <laughs>